Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby! Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. You make me feel so young. Hey, you make me think there are songs to be sung, bells to be rung. Wonderful fling to be flung Even when I'm old and gray I am gonna feel the way I do Here today Cause you make me feel so young You've heard the greatest. We know it in Las Vegas. With Muhammad Ali, the boxer, called himself the greatest. There is somebody actually that we're talking to today that you'll meet that is actually the greatest vocal impressionist out there. There's really no question about it, and he's been voted Best Entertainer of the Year in Las Vegas six times, if you can believe that. The great Bob Anderson was with us, who at last time I saw him was over at the Venetian in a show called Frank, the Man, the Music with uh, Vincent Falcone. It's 32-piece orchestra. Bob, uh, what a great pleasure to have you on. Now, you did something. Even it's my pleasure. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me. Well, it's our pleasure to have you on. And one of the things I want to ask you is, you have a unique story. You're really one of those cases, you know, where everybody says they want to go to a baseball game and then a foul ball goes out. They make a great catch and they go hire him right there on the spot. Well, that sort of happened to you. Talk about the first time you hit it because, you know, you had talent, but you didn't realize ex- what was going to happen. No, I had no idea. I think, Steve, what you're talking about is my uh, introduction to Nancy Sinatra. Yes, exactly. Uh, And that all happened when uh, I was uh, very young. I uh, I was 21 years old. I took a drive uh, from Detroit. I was going out west uh, to California. And I didn't realize that when I drove through Chicago, out of Detroit, got to Chicago, that Route 66 really took me to Las Vegas. So anyway, I wound up in Las Vegas. I was just driving in my car. I had an old, ugly Volkswagen. You know, I had cutoffs on and long hair and sandals, a peace sign for a belt buckle, all that stuff. And uh, anyway, because I had just come back from Vietnam. So I was I was in the 4th Infantry uh, Division. I was a platoon leader over there. I get back. <clears throat> I want to clear my head, so I'm driving out west. I go into Las Vegas. I had been driving for three days, slept in my car. I really didn't have the money. Uh, for a hotel or a motel, I didn't didn't want to spend it. So anyway, I get there, and I, I'm looking up, and I said, "Whoa!" I look at the, the the marquee at the Sahara Hotel, and it says Frank Gorshin and Joan Rivers. So I pull my car in there, I park it way in the back so nobody's going to see it, uh, and I, I walk in, you know, unshaven, kind of gruddy looking, but. You know, you can sleep in your car for a month when you're 21, and you come out and you look great. I stop my car, so now I get out, and I walk in, and I'm going to have a beer. So I'm sitting down at the bar right by, I see the Conga showroom, so I'm getting excited. I know that's where the, the, the they're working at. So it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and some guy walks up and sits down beside me, and we're having a drink, and we get talking, 
and I find out that he's a journalist. His name is Mark Tan, and from uh, he writes for the Hollywood Reporter and the Review Journal, Las Vegas, all these things. So after we're talking for about ten minutes, he says, "Hey, listen, I'm going in to see a uh, rehearsal. It's Nancy Sinatra and the Everly Brothers. They're opening tonight. Would you like to come in with me? She's a friend of mine." I said, "Yeah, that'd be great. I'd go in." So we walk into him in there, and we're sitting for a minute. And all of a sudden, there's a big argument and fight on the stage. And the Everly Brothers, to make the story short, they wind up quitting the show. They leave. They walk off. They had been rehearsing for a whole week. And everybody's in a panic because the show's going to open in three hours. So uh, she's calling everybody. Mac Davis, Glenn Campbell, Jack Jones, uh, everybody she could get. Vic Damone, nobody could come over and help her. This was Nancy Sinatra was... Uh, this was her debut for her new record. These boots are made for walking. So she was, and and you know, so she was opening up the Sahara. Her dad got her in there. I looked at the guy next to me, and I said to this guy, I says, "Hey, uh, Steve." He says, "No, no, not Steve, Mark." I said, "Okay, Mark, Mark." Um, so he, I said, "Mark, I'm a singer, man. I, I can do whatever she needs." And I'm really kind of joking on the square because I could sing and all that, but I wasn't really into business or nothing. So he starts laughing really hard, and he says, well, go up and tell her. I said, what do you mean, go up and tell her? He said, yeah, just walk up there and go tell her that. And I said, you mean just walk up there like that? And he says, yeah. <laughs> he said, it would be better if you were dressed a little different, but we laughed. So I walked up to the stage, and everybody just went silent and looked at me and thought, how did he get in here? So I said, excuse me, I said, Nancy, I said, I'm a singer. I can do whatever you need. And... Uh, Everybody broke out laughing, except her conductor. And he handed me a mic, and he said, Bob. Now, he was, he was Elvis Presley's producer and Frank Sinatra's producer. See, people don't realize this, but the Sinatra family and, and Elvis Presley were very closely, uh, they were very close friends. Does that go uh, back to that uh, famous special he had back earlier in the decade? Yes, yes. With, with Elvis when he came back from, uh, from uh, Germany. Right. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They were all very close. And uh, Nancy was very close with Elvis. So, and so was her father. So anyway, he says, and he's their conductor. So he says, Nancy, give the kid a mic. This might be funny. So I said, yeah, okay, funny. <laughs> so anyway, he did give me a mic. And the orchestra started to play, ba da 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 all this stuff. And I went in to sing. Uh, I sang, I know I stand in line until you think you find the time to spend an evening with me. Remember the song that she, oh, yeah. she did? Something stupid, and then you yeah. Go, oh, oh, but, yeah, something by saying something stupid like, I love you. Well, I did that. I harmonized with her. I did the whole song. She came off the stage and hugged me, and I opened that evening in the main showroom of the Sahara Hotel. <laughs> and there's so much more, Steve, into that story because everybody's saying, well, how did you do that? Well, immediately... Billy Strange sat me down at the piano and he says, man, look at these songs here. We got these charts. Can you sing any of this music here? And he pulled up a song that they just had by Nielsen called, uh, uh, you know, uh, Well, I Can't Forget This Evening, Can't Live of Living. Yeah, right. Okay. So I said, yeah, I can do that one. Okay, we ran it through one time on the piano. Then there was another one. He said, uh, uh, Stevie Wonder put out the song at the time for once in my life. And, and he said, but but we got it. I mean, it was swinging. And he said, can you, can you do this? 
And I said, yeah, I know that song. So he ran through that. So I did those two tunes that evening in the show, along with doing uh, her harmony and backing her up and stuff. So, I mean, it was amazing. She takes me right over to Maryland Parkway and takes me into a, uh, an outfit place and gets me clothes and says, hurry up and get these over to the hotel. Meanwhile, she takes me back to the hotel. We go upstairs, and I'm in a suite with Nancy, and she's saying, tell me who you are and tell me all about you. So we start talking. Fifteen minutes later, somebody comes in and says, it's ready. So she gets up and takes me right across the hall, right exactly across the hall, opens up the door that faces the Las Vegas Strip, and it's a gorgeous suite on the top of the hotel, and it was the Everly Brothers. Wow. So now it's mine. I can't believe this, man. That's what's going on here. And now this is just a couple of hours. She says, look, relax in here for a while. And I know this is overwhelming for you, she said, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk in about an hour or so. Uh, she's got to do something. So she leaves. I walk out on the terrace, look down, and there's my name already on the marquee. Wow. They, put, they were putting my name up on the marquee. So anyway, I do the show that night. And everything, you know, we go down, it really works. I mean, for some miracle, God gave me the whatever miracle came down and we made, and it happened. So later that evening, after I met all these stars in her dressing room, because it was Sinatra's daughter that was debuting her show there. So all of the people came out like, you know, like Kirk Douglas, Henry Fonda, uh, Steve Lawrence, Igor May, Rickles, all these people were in the dressing room. When I went in there, I felt so out of place. I didn't even know how to talk to anybody. So anyway, we got through the whole thing. Everybody's congratulating me. I get up to my up to my room, and uh, I can't figure, you know, I'd already called home, and nobody believed me. So I said, <laughs> hey, call the Sahara Hotel to ask for Bob Anderson's room, okay? So I hung up the phone, and my brother did. Sure enough, he rang for me. So now it's about 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning. I can't sleep. I've already got up twice. I open up the door to my room, and I look down. I'm going to go for a walk, and I see a newspaper on right in front of there. So I go, I said, oh, great, somebody dropped their newspaper. Well, when I bent down, I looked, and I saw that there was newspapers all up and down the hallway. See, I had never been in a hotel before. Right. So I never knew people you put didn't the newspapers in front of No. So I picked it up, and on the cover of the Review Journal, I'm on it uh, <laughs> with a picture with Nancy, Nancy Sinatra's name, and they took a picture of the marquee. And it's on the front page of the Review Journal now. So it was such a crazy thing because back then, there was no competitiveness. Nobody was competing against each other. All the stars worked for each other. They would promote each other's shows and stuff all the time. They would go to each other's shows and sit in. It was a different period, Steve. Right. Um, so that's why I was on there, the... the uh, uh, the writer for, uh, the journalist for uh, the Las Vegas Review Journal stopped and snapped the picture because when it said Frank Gorshin mm-hmm. up on the marquee and it said Joan Rivers, they had come from the bottom. They removed Joan Rivers and they put up Bob Anderson. <laughs> then the top, stand, top one still said Frank Gorshin. So they moved Gorshin and put Sinatra up. So the sign says now Frank Sinatra and Bob Anderson. Wow. <laughs> so they snapped the picture because they knew that was never going to happen. And they and it was on the front page of the Review Journal. So I pick up the paper, and here's my my name on there on the marquee of the Sahara Hotel with Frank Sinatra and Bob Anderson. 
So it was an amazing day. Yeah, uh, it's a, one of those great only in Vegas moments too. I mean, just incredible. Now, before only that, well, but Bob, before that day, did you know that? Did you ever have in your mind that wow, I can sing these other people's songs and uh, and do it so well? No, I was never an impressionist. I never knew I could do impressions. I lived on a farm in Michigan. A lot of kids. It was a lot of people at our house all the time. Music being played all the time. We had a snooker pool table in, in our house, and we had a, and a regular eight-ball uh, billiard table. And we used to play in the jukebox, and people would be over all the time. Well, I would fall asleep at night listening to the great singers of the Great American Songbook at that time. I was really into them, and I wanted to learn to sing. And I thought if I could sing as closely as I could to these guys, I'd really be doing good because they were the greatest. So I, after playing their music so much, I embedded the, their sound in my brain unconsciously. I didn't really know that that's what I was doing. So going back to, to, to Nancy Sinatra, I had never done any impressions before in my life. Wow. And I really wasn't ever in show business or nothing. So after working with her at the Sahara for a few days, she said, I'm going to take you with me on the Merv Griffin show. I said, okay, let's go on. So she was just going to do her thing. I wasn't going to uh, sing or anything. So we get there, she introduced me to Merv, and Merv said, would you like to sing a song? <laughs> and I said, yeah, that'd be cool. So I sang, if a picture paints a thousand words by, by bread. Right. And just the audience flipped out because they introduced me as this veteran back from Vietnam, you know, and all the stuff, and the war wasn't quite over yet and stuff. So I get a standing ovation, the whole thing. And Mike Douglas sees me on there. And I get invited on his show, and Johnny Carson saw me on there. Then I been on, then I went on to do the Tonight Show, and uh, that's a whole other story. That's a great one, man. More with singer and impressionist Bob Anderson in just a moment. But first, when you visit Las Vegas, you're always looking for fun things to do, and I think one thing you got to put on your list is the Neon Museum. It's fantastic. What a way to learn the history of Las Vegas, but by the signs that go back all the way to the 1930s. The lobby, in fact, is a restored shell from the old La Concha Motel. It's a lot of fun. The staff there is incredible. Really unique Las Vegas experience. So you can learn the history and have a blast. Go to neonmuseum.org. That's neonmuseum.org. You are listening to Bob Anderson, considered by many to be the finest singer-impressionist of all time. Oh, yeah, well, I know you got more time with him than almost anybody ever gets, right? It was this incredible thing where he let you I let you do that. what you do. <laughs> I, I did, so, so oh, oh, no, no, but let me, wait a minute, let's back up a second. When I went out there to do the Merv Griffin show, and I sang If, I went home, back to my home, and I get a phone call from Paul Anka. He got my phone number from the Sahara Hotel and called me and says, Bob, this is Paul Anka. I said, hey, man, yeah, okay, who's this? I told you it's Paul Anka. He said, and I want you to come back on the uh, Merv Griffin show with me on Thursday. I said, well, how can I do that? He says, don't well, let me let me worry about that. So I want to meet you tomorrow. I got a song I want you to sing. So I met with Paul. We went in the recording studio to record this song. He takes me two days later onto the Merv Griffin show. I sing a song again. Merv tells me after the show, Bob. 
we love having you here, but you have to have a reason for being on the show again. We can't just keep having you like this. <laughs> you either got to write a book, be in the movies, have a hit record, have a television show or something. Anyway, that's that. I go on the road with uh, uh, Nancy Sinatra. She uh, had two miscarriages in the past, and she was she had become pregnant on the road. Mm-hmm. Her husband was a choreographer with the show, and her doctor called her, and he said, stop what you're doing, come back, you have to go to bed. She quit the show the next day, and all of us were out of work. She kept in touch with me and said, I will, I'll I'll help you out. What do you want to do? You want to stay in the business? I said, yeah, sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, if it's this easy. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, so she went. I moved to, to New York City now. I was hooked, and I, I learned uh, from um, Phil Moore, a guy who teaches you how to walk on stage, how to perform, how to have stage presence, how to everything. And I took lessons from him. All of a sudden, I get a phone call from Joan Rivers that Nancy Sinatra called her and said to ha- if she would have me open with her at her workshop at the Yee Little Club in Beverly Hills. And she asked if I wanted her to do it. I said, yes. I immediately got in my car, drove to California. Wow. And, and I was from New York. It's a long drive. So I... Uh, but I dumped my Volkswagen. I got a decent car now that I was working with Nancy. So anyway, so I made it out there. I get in. This is a year, almost a year later. I uh, go in and I'm working in the Yellow Club. And that night, Merv Griffin walks in and he's to see Joan Rivers. Mm-hmm. And he sees me and he says he's having a party at his house on Sunday, his 50th birthday party. He'd like me to come to it. I said, I'll be there. I go there and I'm, mo- I'm going to speed this up. So I go there and I get into the house and all of Hollywood is there. You know, Merv Griffin was Mr. Hollywood, not Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson was more of a of a, a recluse by right. his own. You know, he he spent more time with himself. He was shy. He, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, he couldn't go anywhere. You know, he was like Frank Sinatra and Elvis Presley. I mean, he couldn't walk five feet without people just grabbing him and, you know, and everything. He was that big. So he didn't go anywhere. Merv Griffin... I go to his house. There's where everybody's there. I walked in, and the, the Beach Boys are sitting there, and Mama Cass uh, from the other group. Mama and the Papas, her, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Had a leg in a cast, and it was laying, she had it on Brian Williams' lap. And, and, and uh, what's her name? Elizabeth Taylor's there. Everybody's there from Hollywood. And, and uh, I'll never forget, Goldie Hawn runs up to me and jumps on, on my, in my arms and says, Will you dance with me? She didn't know who I was, and and she was under. She was drinking quite a bit, I think. And so anyway, I danced with her and all this stuff. So Merv Griffin starts playing the piano, and when he plays the piano, he I, out of nowhere he asked me to go up and sing. Well, he starts playing Misty, and I just out of nowhere started doing it like "Look at Me," and I turned into Johnny Mathis. Wow! <laughs> I started doing the song like Johnny Mathis, and everybody. In a minute, you can hear a pin drop. They were listening to this in the house. And so he says, Bob, I didn't know you were a, you could do that. And I said, I didn't either. <laughs> so, so he said, who else do you do? I said, I don't know. So he starts playing San Francisco, and I just went right into Tony Bennett. And, I, and that floored the people. And I'll never forget, Terry Grant was sitting on the floor right next to the piano, leaning with his back against the wall. And he said, well, this is really something. I've never seen anything like this. And it's Cary Grant. 
So wow. Robert Goulet is standing at, in the, in the, against the wall in the back of the room, and he says, hey, kid, can you do me? Yeah, exactly. So, Gosh. Yeah. So I go, if you know, oh, no, not at springtime. And I start singing, if ever I would leave you. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> I freaked myself out. So Merv Griffin turns around and says, we found your act. Now you can come back on the show. You've got a reason for being there. Well, that night he wrote my whole show for me. He and Mort Lindsay, who was his right. conductor, a Judy Garland's conductor. We stayed up all night. They wrote my show. They brought me back on Friday to the Merv Griffin show. He introduced me as a singing impressionist. I did it. That's when Merv Griffin, or that's when Mike Douglas saw me. Then Johnny Carson saw me and called and invited me back on the show. And the first day that I was on there, it's another story I'll tell you at another time, but I wound up doing the show, got an amazing standing ovation. I was only supposed to do four minutes. I wound up doing 14 minutes. Unheard of. Front, Unheard front, of on the show. In front of the cameras. Yeah. Carson let me said, let him do his act, do whatever he wants, because I, I was, what I, they wanted me to do six guys in four minutes. I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Johnny came down out of his office and called up to us, walked up to us, called Mort Lindsay over and said, Mort, uh, let, let him do what he wants. That's so incredible. I did 14 and a half minutes with, and my, the guys in the show with me were Muhammad Ali and Bob Hope. Wow. I was so freaked out, man. Your so story's anyway, unbelievable. I mean, it, it's really, uh, you're mentioning these names, and I mean, this was Hollywood royalty at that time. I mean, this royalty. was everybody. Everybody. And when I was done doing that show, that I got these uh, standing ovations and everything from Carson. He didn't, he asked me to sit down. Nobody does. But he got up out of his chair and came over to me and stopped the audience and said, I told you Bob was going to knock you out of your seats, and he did. Thanks, Bob. We'll have you back. Did wow. he have me back? I went home. The next day, I get a call from uh, from uh, his... Uh, uh, Freddie de Cordova? Yeah, yeah. And I get a call, Bob, you knocked him out. Johnny wants to know if you can come back on Friday. So I went back on Friday. I'm the only guy in the history of The Tonight Show that was ever on it twice in the same week. It's, it's unreal. You know, one thing I want to cover, because we we got to have you on again to talk even more yep. about that, but... I saw, because I saw you do the Sinatra thing, and at the time I didn't understand this history the way I do now. And I'm like, wow, this guy is just incredible. He must have dedicated his life to, uh, you know, really sounding like Sinatra. That is the thing that's different about you than anybody else I've seen. I've seen these tribute acts, and these guys are really good, and they sound like them somewhat. You sound exactly like them. There's a thing, and I challenge people to go to YouTube. There's a there's a piece with you singing with Tom Jones, and. If you don't watch the video and just listen, you think it's all Tom Jones. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Tom's a great friend of mine. He always has been. I toured with him in the U.K. That's at Thames Studio, at Thames uh, Studio, which is a big television thing. In uh, Des O'Connor, we were doing a show there. And uh, they brought Tom in and everything. And and uh, Des said to him, uh, Tom, we'd like you to do a song. Will you get up and do Delilah for us? And Tom says, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm tired of that song. I've done it too many times. So uh, I'm not doing it for a while. And he says, oh, come on, Tom, please, come on. You got to do it for it. We all want it. He says, no, Des, I'm not doing it. He says, okay, then we got somebody else to do it. So he says, come on out here, Bob. So I did it. So then Tom walks up on stage, and we do it. It was planned, but we were all dressed the same and everything, and we did it together, and we were on tour together. Tom Jones is a wonderful, wonderful individual. 
Uh, he is very generous with his time and with his money. And uh, he was a great guy. And I got to tell you, Steve, I just saw him. He and I worked opposite each other again in Detroit at the Opera House uh, about six months ago. And uh, he's 48, he's 78 years old. Yeah. I've never heard him sing better in my life. Yeah, I saw him in Vegas, actually, and it was fascinating that a guy, particularly at that age, sounded like he did in his youth. I mean, him and John Fogarty are the two people that I've seen that's like, my God, they didn't change at all. I mean, how do you do that? But uh, they're just great entertainers, i, I got to oh, say. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I know they are, and, and those, are, those are great. But, uh, but you know, I, uh, I've been very you know, fortunate in the business right now. We are, uh, I know we can talk about this another time, but... Uh, I'm taking my show is is about uh, just a half an inch away from uh, going to Broadway. We yeah, just kind of give us a little preview of that because I'm excited uh, about that too. Talk, talk about what you're going to do, and I, and I think it's ripe for that audience. I, th I think people are going to lose their minds, particularly people that well, even haven't seen these people. You know, they're going to lose their yeah. minds. Well, the girl named uh, Eva Price, who is one of the top producers on Broadway now, she's won all the Tony Awards the last four years. She is uh, my uh, general manager for the production, and uh, we. Uh, she came to the Venetian when I was there three times to see my show. So now we're going to do it, and uh, it's um, it's Frank the Man, the music. And when I walked in, and she took me to the to the guy that does most of the marketing in in, in uh, uh, New York uh, on Broadway. Uh, I can't think of his name right now. Brian, I can't think of it, but he's done marketing for 400. He's from the UK for 400 Broadway shows. When I saw him, he said, Bob, we need you on Broadway. Your show will be a smash hit. He said, I can't tell you how many people from around the world come to Broadway now, and we get so many complaints because it's not Broadway. He said, they, I, they don't want to come here and see Spider-Man on the stage. He right. said, they had enough of Blue Man Group on the stage. They don't want to see that. He said, there's no more Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, Sammy Davis Jr. Those, there's no more Camelot with Robert Goulet. He said, you will be the first guy to have come. Uh, you're the first to ever bring Frank Sinatra to, to Broadway. Never been on Broadway, no show for Sinatra. But also, you will be the first guy to have your orchestra up on the stage rather than in the pit. Right. And he said, it's going to be the talk of the town, and Eva Price never does a show that isn't totally sold out. So good luck, and I said, great. So we're working on that now, Steve, and we're very close. Well, it's so exciting. You know, I remember when you were playing at the Venetian, I had to take my daughter down. Cause my daughter's a big Sinatra fan, and of course, you can't go see Frank anymore, which is really a sad thing. And I go, well, we've got the next best thing. And it, I think people really need to see it because this is as close as you're going to get to ever having that great experience of seeing a Sinatra concert, which was really unique at the time. And, and, you, and you're, you're singing like him in his prime. So what a great gift to the country. I, I hope you travel all over with it at, once you get oh, done man. with your Broadway run. Well, I just got off a tour with Live Nation. Um, and people say, well, I'm not sure who Live Nation is, but for your listeners, I understand who don't know that, but they do know who Ticketmasters is, and Live Nation owns Ticketmasters. Right. They're the biggest uh, uh, theater touring, uh, or they're the biggest touring company in the world. So I just did a tour with them, and uh, I'm going to go back with them after Broadway and do a tour of the country and, and probably around the world, a lot of it. Uh, but, but what the, you know... What it is, is uh, it, the show is, I, did, I wrote the show uh, because 
I, I realized that this great music from this wonderful period of time, you know, I, I want my kids to think that their music is the best of all time and really enjoy it. But you and I both know that that's not the case. Right, the, exactly. <laughs> but you know, that, the, the newer generation loves the Sinatra stuff. That's why that stuff still hangs on. They it's do. that good, you know. They do, Steve. You're exactly right. And so I wrote this show for the younger generation to be able to leave their high-tech world behind, travel back to circa 1970 at Caesars Palace, and see... Uh, spend an evening watching Frank Sinatra on stage in the Circus Maximus room and sit back and see what it was really like before. And uh, I got to tell you something, man. It was just overwhelming. The, the people came from all over the world, you know, for that. I was there for a year in Vegas. Yeah. And from all the different countries around many, 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 I would say 20 different countries, people came in and wrote about it. They're writers. And so... Um, we are going to now, uh, we're in the process of, like I said, putting it together for New York. Uh, is it hands down on Broadway? No, it's not. But it's about, like I said, it's an inch away right now. Right, it's, right. Uh, it's, it's very tough because there's a lot of shows trying to go on Broadway. Absolutely. And, uh, but it is but, unique. And the 1970 thing is different than the old Rat Pack stuff. I mean, they were having fun with Rat Pack and they were joking around. He took that quite seriously. Though. I remember that Caesar's Palace thing. So that was him still in his prime when he could really hit everything. And I, I that was a serious, if you ever hear those concerts, that was a serious thing. I mean, that was the best of Frank. Well, that's absolutely it was. It was the best of Frank. You know, one of the things where you, where you mentioned I did like that, that the, the hardest thing that I had to overcome on this show was the water being so muddied up by people who, and for doing it for fun is one thing, but when you get on there and you say that, you know, you really say they're the best in the world and the agents are trying to sell them and they can't keep a tune, you know, it's like, you know, they, all of them go on the, on the Internet and they put their hat on sideways and they think they can be Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Well, it doesn't do that. He's one of the finest singers that ever lived. And he's certainly by far the most uh, popular artist that ever lived. And when I say that on television, they stop me and say, wait a minute, what about Elvis Presley? And I said, well, Elvis was dead when he was 42. Right. They said, well, what about Michael Jackson? I said, he was dead when he was 50. So I said, Frank Sinatra performed until he was 83. So I said, and he's so good that you've really got to work at it. Yeah. I worked at this thing looking in a mirror in my downstairs when I was working with Andy Williams in Branson, Missouri, for in his theater. He and I worked together for four years in his theater together. I worked, I got up every morning, every morning at 5.30 when I wrote this show. I had a room downstairs totally up in, in mirrors. And I had one wall that was eight by 10 big screen and a projector and a Bose sound system with me. And I went in there and started looking at videos and I studied them. I'd put a tuxedo on, I'd comb my hair back, grease it back and stuff. And, and I would do Frank Sinatra, watch every movie made, every, every gesture he made, he, the look on his face, when he was singing something in a sad thing or when he was looking a different way, when he was up and jovial. And I studied it all two hours a day, four to five days a week for one year, solid year. Wow. And just to, just to try to get as closely as I could to him. And believe me right now, I'm still doing it every day here. Well, you know, Bob, uh, so, I'll tell so you something. I've seen a lot of these people that do that. There's a lot of good Sinatras, 
But there's really only one great Sinatra, and that's your act. I, it, it's fabulous, and I can't well, wait that, for this because I've seen you in the Venetian. It's unbelievable. Well, that is very that's very nice of you to say that, and and I agree with you that there are a number of people that I see that I, on, on uh, the internet and things that are really good good guys and good singers, and I wish them all the luck. Uh, uh, that that they get everything you know that they're after. But if they uh, want to see the best, first place to start is YouTube. Bob Anderson, is, is, you'll you'll be shocked. And then you know, let's stay in touch on this, Bob, and let's tell the people. We'll tell them as soon as uh, once that Broadway thing hits on there. I'd love to talk with you again. We just kind of scratch the surface. You want. And uh, absolutely, whenever you whenever you uh, uh, want to sit back and uh, have a call, I don't care if it's four in the morning. I'm having a, a drink, a little Jack Daniels here. There you and, go. Well, I'm really getting into the Frank thing, right? <laughs> oh, no, I might turn into the Dean thing, but uh, <laughs> at that time of the morning. But anyway, anyway I, I really appreciate you uh, having me on your show. You've been listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast, with new shows loaded twice weekly. Got a guest idea? Email us at info at VegasNeverSleeps.com and catch the show live every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, coast to coast on the BizTalk Radio Network.